Marie Antoinette lived a life with a lot of pressure. After all, she was made queen at a very, very early age. And as queen of France, there were a lot of expectations on her. There were a lot of critics of her. There were a lot of people waiting for her to fail. It was a really high-pressure situation. And so she, like anybody who is in the midst of the public eye, in the midst of the pressure cooker of public opinion, she needed a break. She needed some kind of an escape. And so what she did is she had built for herself a village that she could go to. And this village, part of it was constructed to look like a peasant village. It was designed to look like the villages of the common people. So she could step out of her palace and go into this village and live life like a common person within the safety of her territory. And so she had farms built. She had houses built where the windows were broken and it looked like she had it created where it looked like years and years of repair and rebuild had taken place. It was really kind of exquisite the way she had it done. And there are even stories that she and some of her friends would dress up like the common people. They would dress up like milkmaids and go out and pretend to work in the fields and all these kind of things so that she could get a taste of a different kind of life. So that she could put her crown aside for a little while and live life like she thought that everybody else lived, like the common people. But of course, when she was tired of wearing her peasant's clothes, she got to put back on her queen's regalia. When she was tired of pretending to do the work of the common people, she got to go back inside the palace and do the work of a queen. And really, who could blame her? Because I imagine if you ask most people, most people would say that royalty is preferable to poverty. And so she might want an escape, but of course she would go back to what she knew, go back to what was comfortable, go back to what she really was. But what would drive a king to leave his throne? Not to create for himself an escape. Not to create for himself a false reality, but what would drive a king to truly leave his throne? In the case of the story of Christmas, what would drive the God of the universe to step down from his rightful place and walk into time and space to dwell with the common people? The answer, of course, is love. And when we talk about that kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that marks the Christmas story, we're not talking simply about the kind of love of a king for his kingdom that's in disrepair, but the kind of love that a father has for his children. And so this morning, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4. We're going to take a pause from the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to stay in Galatians because this is still the Christmas season. And so if your neighbors are mad because your decorations are still up, then you can rightly say that you are more orthodox than they are because you are following the Christian season the way that it was designed to be followed with 12 days after Christmas, not before. And so you are right in leaving your decorations up because it's not Epiphany yet. And so since we're still in the Christmas season, I wanted to take another moment just to reflect on the Christmas message. And so in Galatians chapter 4, Starting in verse 4 through verse 7. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. May God add His blessing and His favor to the reading of His Word. Thanks be to God for His Word. God, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank you for your word that we get to read Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But God, we also thank you for the reminder that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. As much as we think about sacrifice during Holy Week and during Good Friday and Easter, God, we also are confronted with the beauty of your sacrifice here in the Christmas season. As we remember you not simply as the God of the universe, but as the God of the universe who is willing to step down into your creation to save it. To put on flesh and blood to redeem flesh and blood. And God, the message of Christmas goes even deeper than simple salvation because you change the core of who we are. You change our identity that you make us your sons and your daughters. You make us your children and heirs to an inheritance we could never imagine. And so as we take just a few moments today and think about the Christmas message, Father, give us that spirit, that Christmas spirit of adoption and remind us that if we are in Christ, that we are your children and that you love us as a father loves his children. And God, let that bring us love and joy, and peace, and patience, and all the things that we've talked about as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. And let that inspire us to go out and to share that Spirit with those around us, and to love others as you have loved us. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Advent is a season that reminds us that we need to trust God. As we went through the entire season of Advent for the last four weeks leading up to Christmas Day, we talked about anticipation. We talked about expectations. We lit these candles one at a time to remind ourselves that we have this growing and glowing desire to see Christ come and to make all things new, but it's not here yet. That it hasn't happened yet, and so we have to cling to that hope. We have to cling to that anticipation and we have to trust God even through the most difficult seasons and the most difficult times in our lives. And trust by itself can also be difficult, but thankfully on the heels of Advent is the season of Christmas. And the season of Christmas reminds us that that trust that we have in God is not in vain. That that expectation that we have in God is not futile because God makes good on his promises. And we see that in the first coming of Christ. In Jesus being born in the manger to Joseph and Mary, when we see Christ enter into the world, we are reminded that God keeps his promises. That Christmas morning was a down payment on all of the work that God is going to continue to do and all of the promises that he's going to continue to keep. Because remember, Advent is designed to put us in the mindset of those people who were living before the birth of Christ. 
that were waiting for hundreds and thousands of years for God to bring his plan to fruition, for God to send his Messiah into the world. And finally, we see examples like with the prophet and prophetess at the temple after Jesus was born, where they celebrate God, where Simeon looks into the eyes of Christ and says, now I can die happy because I've seen the salvation of God for myself. And they realized that their hope and their waiting was not wasted. And Christmas reminds us that there will be a day when our waiting is not wasted, that our hope is made full, that our faith is made sight. Paul says here in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time, Exactly at the moment that it was supposed to happen, even though people had been waiting for so long, when the time was right, then God acted. Josie, our oldest, our three-year-old, is getting to the point now where she understands time, but she doesn't really understand time. And so she knows that things take a little bit of time, but she doesn't know exactly what that allotment of time is supposed to look like. And so we're at a restaurant the other day. And the waitress comes to the table, and she takes our order, and she walks away. And as soon as she's out of sight, Josie goes, what's taking so long? I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, what? We, we ordered our food. Why is our food taking so long? Because she understood that once you order the food, then it's time for the food to come. But not really how long is an acceptable amount of time for us to be waiting before it warrants a, oh, good grief. But when it comes to eternity, when it comes to God's plan, when it comes to God's scope, we kind of understand time much like a three-year-old understands time. Because it's hard to grasp, it's hard to wrap our minds around God's timeline. And we're not alone there, because even in the Old Testament, you see people literally saying, how long, O Lord, is this going to last? How much longer are you going to let your people suffer? How much longer are you going to wait while we rot away here and we are desperate for your salvation? Why is this taking so long? But then in the fullness of time, when it was time for it to happen, then God sent forth a son born of a woman born under the law. And the Christmas season reminds us that as we looked at patience a couple weeks ago as this fruit of the Spirit, that patience really is a virtue that we're supposed to carry as followers of Christ, but we can do so joyfully because we know that God understands this time thing a lot better than we do. That God sees time not like we do as, as aiming in the dark, but God sees it all at the same time and he knows exactly the right moment and the right place and the right time for everything to happen. And the birth of Christ is proof of that. Because if you look at the the context around the birth of Jesus, the world was ripe and ready for the Messiah to come. It was right on the heels of the expectation of the Old Testament prophets. Everybody knew that the time was just about right, but also the world had changed from when the prophets were speaking. Because you had these world powers like Greece who brought in a universal language. You had the Romans who came in and started building roads to everywhere so that everyone was connected in a way that they were never connected before. And that mix of anticipation, of prophetic imagination with the cultural shift in the world made it the perfect moment for Jesus to be born and to take that message of the gospel to the entire world. And so God understands the timing more than we do. And so just like we see in the fullness of time Christ came in the world, our future hope rests in the fact that when it's time, 
As Jesus says, only the Father knows the time, but when the time comes that God knows, he will bring Christ into the world at the exact right moment to make all things right and all things new. So in that exact moment, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. And then Paul says that that Son was born of a woman. And so God sent his Son into the world. We talk about how Jesus is the greatest gift of Christmas, and that is absolutely true because it reminds us that it's God's grace entering into the world. That we didn't deserve it, that we didn't have anything to offer God in return, but he gave Christ for the specific purpose of redeeming us and saving us, and he could have sent Jesus into the world in any way that he wanted to. If it were me, I would have gone a a much more spectacular route, right? Not a baby born in a little town like Bethlehem where no one noticed, but I would have picked a big city and maybe had some trumpets and some clouds because clouds feel heavenly and kingly, right? So cloud and just descend right in the middle of it. And Jesus could. He could have just descended into the world and set everything right, but he didn't. Because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And that's such a small phrase, but it's such a heavy concept that Jesus was born of a woman, just like everybody else who's ever been born. There was nothing outwardly spectacular. There was nothing noticeably different. In fact, Jesus' birth looked a little more humble than the rest of the births around him because he was born to this young family and they weren't married yet and so it was a little scandalous and they were born in a stable because there wasn't any room for them in the inn in this little bitty town and this little bitty tribe that nobody cared about. And we're reminded in the Christmas message that God entered the world in a humble way so that he is born into the exact same things that we are. It's not God putting on peasant clothes and pretending to understand what we're going through, but Jesus entered into the world in such a way that made him an empathetic high priest who experienced every suffering, he experienced every trial, he experienced every difficulty and temptation in the exact same way that we did. He became one of us for us. He emptied himself, he advocated his throne and walked into the world in an incredibly humble way. He was born of a woman, and it was a woman that he created. The creator of the universe not only stepped into creation, but he did so through natural means. He did so through the same limitations that all of us had because he came to save us as we are, and so he met us where we are. But not only was he born of a woman, but it says that he was born under the law. Which again is such an incredible thing to think about. Because just like Jesus is the one who created the universe, that Paul says that all things were created through him and by him and for him, that we see through John that he was with God in the beginning and he was God and he was the catalyst for all of creation and now he's become part of creation. In the same way, Jesus is not just the lawgiver, but Jesus is the law. The Old Testament law was built around the character and the nature of God. And so Jesus was the standard on which the law was built. And now he's saying here through Paul that he came to be born under the law. 
to be born under the same limitations, the same restrictions that we are, the same law that Paul says keeps us in slavery because we could never possibly fulfill it. Jesus was born under it so that he could save us from it. Jesus was born into the law so that he could fulfill the law in a way that we never could and bring us redemption and freedom from the law. As we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll pick back up with that next week as we talk about kindness and what it means to show the kindness of God into a world that often doesn't see that. The fact that we're able to live out the fruit of the Spirit is a direct result of the fact that Jesus was born under the law. Because Paul's writing this letter to the Galatian church and they're trying to start following the law again. But, but Paul reminds them here, no, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he could redeem those who were under the law. So that he could take that weight off of our shoulders because he could live it in a way that we never could. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. To take that weight away, to take our guilt, to take our shame, to take even the expectation of being able to earn God's favor away because he did it for us. And so now as the law bearer, he allows us to come in and to be a part of what he is doing. But as we already said, it wasn't just that he came in to save us. He didn't just come in to take the law away. He didn't just come in to take our burdens away and to forgive us. But he came in to change the essence of who we are, to make us something different. And Paul talks about that transition in verse 5 through 7. He says he's born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or you can broaden that out to say adoption as children. And because you are sons or because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, through Christ and through the Christmas message, we don't simply go from being slaves to free. We go from being slaves to children. And as children of God, we're entitled to be heirs of God's promise and of God's inheritance. Jesus came to redeem those under a law to make us sons and daughters out of our sinfulness and out of our strangeness. God gave his child to make us his children. There are a lot of things that we think about. A lot of things that we talk about, a lot of things that we do during the Christmas season. And yeah, I know it's strange to talk about Christmas after December 25th because our culture and our world has gotten, gotten a little backwards from how it had been traditionally. But during the Christmas season, we talk about the birth of Christ as we should. We celebrate the grace and mercy of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, will have everlasting life. And we absolutely should. We think about the salvation and the light that God brought into the world through Christ as we absolutely should. But one of the things that we have to remember is that part of the Christmas spirit is the reminder that we have the spirit of adoption. That if we've trusted in Christ, that we are his children. 
We not only celebrate the birth of a child in a manger 2,000 years ago, but we celebrate the fact that the birth of that child in the manger has given us the opportunity to find new birth in Christ and to become new creations and become children of God. One thing that has to be a part of our Christmas celebration and really our celebration all through the year is the knowledge that because Jesus was willing to leave his glory, because Jesus was willing to lay down his royalty, we're able to have an intimacy with God that is as close as a father and his children. It says you have the spirit in your hearts crying, Abba, Father. This intimate and personal and close relationship. It's addressing God informally, as we call Abba Father. It's the essence of saying Daddy to God. It's something so close and so beautiful and so perfect that Jesus gave us through his birth, through his life, through his death, and his resurrection. The spirit of Christmas reminds us that if you're in Christ, that if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've repented of your sins, if you believe in him, that you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the law. You're no longer a slave to expectations or guilt or shame. But that you are a child of God. And that as a child of God, you are an heir to a promise. A promise that we didn't deserve, a promise that we couldn't earn, a promise that rightfully belongs to Jesus, to that child born in a manger to do all of these things. And yet because of what he did, we are able to partake in that inheritance that that we're told is unshakable and unchangeable and infinite and beautiful and glorious. And so as we finish these last few days of the Christmas season and beyond, let that message ring true in your hearts that you are a child of God. And then go out and act like a child of God. Reflect the goodness and the nature of who God is everywhere you go and in everything you do, but also cling to that truth in the moments where you don't feel very saved, in the moments where things don't feel very good, in the times when it doesn't feel like you have this intimate connection with God. Remember that you have the Spirit of God's Son in your hearts, and He cries through us, Abba, Father, that He unites us in this intimate relationship With God, remember that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his children. And because we're children, we have this intimate cry in our hearts saying, Abba, Father, because we're no longer slaves, but we're children of God and heirs through him. And so allow that to be the message that pushes you through Advent to Advent to Advent. As the seasons change, as the years come and go, as the numbers on our calendar begin to change, as we wait for Christ, and in those moments when we think, how much longer, God? How much longer until you come and make all things new? How much longer until suffering is put away? How much longer until my sin is gone? How much longer until all of this happens? Remember until that day that you are a child of God and that nothing can change that. And then one day, when the fullness of time has come again, that God will send his son, this time not as a baby in a manger, but as a triumphant returning king to make all things right and all things new. But one thing that won't change is that we will be his children. And that God will be our Father for all of eternity and we'll get to partake in that inheritance that can never pass away.